morning. If you got your Bibles, go to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. Get there, let us pray. <clears throat> Father God, in the name of Jesus, God, we thank you for being God for being here with us, God, for allowing us to even think to want to know you more, God. Help us to focus on you, God, to never forget you, God. Keep you in the forefront of our minds. God, help us to love you, to devote ourselves to you, Father God, to learn something of you, Father God, to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 9. We're going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago. Just looking at this life in the spirit through Romans chapter eight. But before we get to the verses that we're going to read today, I'm going to take a minute and reflect on the day, the day they separate us for us to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. Most folks call it Easter. And as I was thinking about it, and I, I like the way it fell out, and you'll see, it's beautiful. The resurrection of Jesus was a great and mighty thing, world-transforming event. But I always like to think about it in the events leading up to his death and his burial. When we read it, it's hard for us to imagine the severity of what it was that he suffered on our behalf. Because when we read him in the garden, that Jesus was in the garden and his soul was travailing, it says that he travailed and prayed and cried with tears to the point that he began to sweat drops of blood. That's hard to imagine. Like, how can you groan? How can you sweat? How can you be in so much agony that your sweat turned into blood? This is what he went through. This is what he suffered because of sin. And he went from there. Just try to keep, imagine, this is a man sweating. The, the, the great doctors and theologians, they call it hemotridosis. It's the point where your skin cells become so thin and, and they become so much layer and you're in so much anxiety and angst that blood literally begins to come out your body. And just think the sensitivity of his skin from that point, that he was in so much agony that, it's, that it's, the skin cells were so thin because of the anxiety, because of the pressure that he was under, that blood began to come out and he moved immediately from that point in the middle of the night to be taken, lied on, accused for hours. This is in the middle of the night. They take him from the garden to the court of the Pharisees. The high priest questioned him all night, witness after witness after witness, lying on him, lying on him. And they do this all the way until the morning. Jesus ain't getting no sleep. He's in agony. He's in anxiety. Haven't gotten any sleep. Immediately taken from the garden to be questioned. And people lying on you all night long. From there, they take him to Pilate. 
And if you read your scriptures, it says in the morning. So soon as the light came up, soon as they believed Pilate was awake, they take him. The man who just been sweating blood and so much anxiety that his body is weakened, still ain't got no sleep. Taken to the court of Pilate to be questioned again for hours and hours. Pilate get tired of him. Send him cross town to Herod. Still ain't got no sleep. To be questioned, to be put on display. Herod ain't satisfied. Send him back cross town. This is a man whose body is weak. Still ain't got no sleep. And all type of anxiety. Back before Pilate. Pilate ain't nothing I can do with him. He ain't done anything wrong. So after all these hours of question, the day is about half spent by now. Still ain't got no sleep. Pilate finally gives up because the people won't relent and they send him to be scourged. In the scourging, initially they mock him. We already know the crown of thorns, put it on his head. This is a man who had just a couple hours ago sweating drops of blood. Imagine the sensitivity of his skin, the thinness of it. And they Ram's crown of thorns on his head. He bleed. Still ain't got no sleep. And they begin to strip his clothes off him. To mock him. Put a robe on him. Put a reed in his hand. Make him stand there like he's a king. Ridicule him. Pluck out his beard. Spit in his face. Some slapped him. Some took the reed out of his hand and slapped him with it. Still ain't got no sleep. This is what he suffered. This is what he went through. The humiliation, the pain, the agony. And taken from that point to put out to be scourged. And we're talking about this scourge and this is a whipping that they received. Much somewhat akin to what they did to slaves. And there was a couple type of tools that they used for the scourging. We don't 100% know which one they used. Could have used all of them. One is a cane, a stick, where they just tie him to a post and beat him. And you're surrounded by guards who take turns just whipping him until they get tired. It was a Jewish law, the 30, I mean the 40 minus 1, the 39 stripes. The Romans did whatever they wanted to. They were allowed to beat until they were satisfied. In some form of the scourging, us the flagiums was long leather whips where they put little iron ball bearings in them to beat them. Some of them had ball bearings and sheep bone to rip off the skin. But the goal and the objective of the scourging was to beat you until a little bit before the point where you pass out. To make it easier for you to die through crucifixion. And this was what they were doing to him, beating him, skin being ripped off his body. Like I said, we'd have seen the pictures of the slave man with his back all tore up. Them only a couple lashes. Imagine the body of Jesus who have been whipped, seeing his very skin sensitive because just a couple hours ago he was sweating blood. Still ain't got no sleep. Beaten into a breath of his life. Mocked, ridiculed, slapped in the face, spit on and beaten, whipped, flesh torn off his body. He bleeding, half to death. 
cannot stand up on his own power. They had to get somebody to carry his cross for him because that's how badly he was beaten. Isaiah 54 said he, that he was more beyond comparison. That his visage was so that you could not even recognize him. This is the God that came down for us. And this is what he suffered on our behalf. And think, he did this as a man. This wasn't no super being, no super deity, just allowing himself to take this. And he just up there like some type of Superman or something. Hey, I can take it. No, he was a man. He lived as a man. He suffered as a man. He was being tortured as a man. Could not bury his own cross because he was passing out. He was faint. He had lost so much blood that he could not carry himself. And still ain't got no sleep. All the way to the point of crucifixion where they nailed him to a piece of wood. Nails going through his wrist. He's hanging there. Cannot breathe. In this sense of torture. Just a couple hours ago, he was sweating drops of blood. Imagine how sensitive his skin was. His body is ripped open. His scars, flesh up against a piece of wood with all type of splinters and soreness. In and he's hanging there having to pull himself up on his own weight through his own pain with these nails in his arms, these nails in his feet, in his head so tortured. So distorted from being slapped, from being beard plucked out, hit with sticks all in the face. This is what he suffered on our behalf. And then we turn to the point where they buried him in the grave and they tried to mend to his wounds, put him there. Three days later, he rises again. Now, let's turn to our passage and watch this. What? That's beautiful. Romans chapter 8, verse 9, it said, But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. But it's the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwelling you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Talking about us. We are God's possession. If the spirit of God dwells in us, then he gives us a promise. So if the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, he shall also quicken or give life to your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Think of the picture. Jesus, beaten, ridiculed, humiliated, marred beyond comparison. Laid in the grave for three days, the Spirit of God rises upon him, brings him back in the brand newness of life. He enter, exits the grave, able to walk, able to stand. No signs that he has ever suffered crucifixion except those that he allowed to remain. Are you, you getting the picture of what I'm talking about? He went down three days ago, a man with so many scars, a man with flesh torn off his body, a man with his face beaten and bruised that you could not even recognize him. 
And he rises up a brand new man, full of strength, full of vigor, with no signs whatsoever that he has suffered. You understanding what I'm saying? When he was walking on the road to Emmaus, nobody stopped to say, hey, man, what happened to you? There was no signs. When the ladies came to the tomb and he spoke with them, nobody stopped to say, hey, what happened to you? Because if you think about human beings, when we suffer, when you get beat up, when you go like he go, it takes more than three days for swelling to go down. It takes more than three days for skin to come back. It takes more than three days for the blueness and the blackness to get off your eyes. But after three days, he had no signs of torture. He had no signs of death. He had no signs but those that he allowed to remain. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And now Paul makes a comparison. He says, the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead, if he dwells in you, he shall also give life to your mortal bodies. And that's a comparison of hope for me. Because just think about it. Jesus went through what he went through because of what? Sin. And everything that was manifested in his body, in his beating, all the bruises, all the scar, and all the scourging was a reflection of God's feelings, God's thoughts about sin. How much God hated. But the resurrection was an example or a picture of the power of God to transform. And it was put on display through the physical body of Jesus. And so if he has the power to raise a dead man from the grave with no signs of suffering, no signs of hardship, no scarring, no pain, no bruises. How much power does he have to do the same thing in me? You, are you getting what I'm saying? Go to Ephesians chapter one. Let me show you. Close this thing all the way up. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. It says, In whom we you also trusted, talking about Christ, after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believe, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So you were sealed with the spirit of promise. So the Holy Spirit of promise stamped you. He made you belong to God. He separated you unto God. It says, and it is the earnest of our inheritance. That word, the earnest, means it's the down payment. It's the little bit you get now in hopes of what is to come. Are, are you getting what I'm saying? It's the little bit you get now in hopes of the reality that is to come. So what God set up is, there is a future that I have for you, a future of a new life, a new hope, a resurrection where me and you union and are in union and commune together, fellowship unbroken in a paradise. But until you get there, I'm going to give you a glimpse of it now. So the Holy Spirit dwelling in our heart is God's promise, is God's assurance that the reality that he has planned for us in the new heavens and the new earth is guaranteed. But one thing about a down payment, one thing about an earnest is that it must be in the same denomination as the thing that is to come. 
What I mean by that, if you put a down payment down on a house, you cannot give them monopoly money in saying that this is an example of what I'm going to give you 10 years from now. That don't work. You say it's money. See, I'm just showing you I'm going to give you some money. No, it has to be in the same denomination of the things that shall be to come. Uh, are you getting what I'm saying? So you cannot put a down payment in the form of something other than that which is to be seen or that which is to come. And the Holy Spirit within us is the earnest. It's the down payment of the inheritance that we shall receive. Now let's think about this thing. If the expectation that we have, the hope that we have, is that one day my body is going to be changed, that the death and the decay that I go through now will be no more. I will be completely transformed into a brand new being, a brand new person living in a completely new life. And what I receive now is a down payment of that which is to come. This hope of a new life, this overcoming of decay, this overcoming of death, this overcoming of all pain, hurt, and sorrow. The thing that I have now should be some form or an example of that which is to come. Are you, you getting what I'm saying? So if the spirit has the ability to transform me in the resurrection, to take this decayed body, to make it a brand new body, to take this death body, to make it a body of life, to take this body that is temporary and make it eternal. He should be doing something in me now that is a sign, that is an example of the thing that he shall do. That's the only way I can have hope of the thing that is to come is if the down payment shows me some sign of some fidelity on the behalf of the one who is giving it. Are you with me? And let's take this whole picture into, into account. Jesus rose, no scars, no pain, no shame, everything brand new. The same spirit that did that lives in me. The same spirit that did that lives in me. And he's going to get life in me as a hope of a life that is to come. You understand what I'm saying? So life has beat me down. Sin has ravaged me bad. Uh, is it just me? Sometimes, sometimes, you know, you be thinking everybody be with you and you realize you're by yourself. <laughs> it be like that sometimes. But I know it, it messed me up, messed up my mind. Don't quite think the way I'm supposed to sometimes. There are some tendencies where I'm, I'm, I'm reluctant to do some things because of some stuff that happened before. It, it just changed my whole mindset. Sin had done that. It, it, it put some shame and some pain on the inside and some stuff that folks be, you quite want people to know. Any, anybody else that happened to? And sometimes it produces a darkness within us and a heaviness within us that we can't quite seem to shake, even though the moment is long gone and we confess that we got over it and it's no longer part of our life. I'm a brand new creature, but that stuff still hunts us sometimes. That's what we have. That's how we have been ravaged from within. But God gave us a promise that there is new life to come. That there's a hope of one day you're going to be resurrected, united with God in a brand new existence. 
and all the pain, the hurt and the shame of this world will no longer be. But until that happened, I'm giving you a down payment. But until that happened, I'm giving you a glimpse of it. So I should expect something of this glimpse to be something of the reality that is to come. So if he can't change me now in the promises that he made for me right now, what hope do I have of a future to come? If he can't ravish the signs of death that's on the inside of me, that's in my heart, that's in my mind, what hope do I have that he can raise this body from decay? Are you understanding what I'm saying? It's easy to hope for the distant because you can't see it. It's easy to believe for the distant because there's there's no pressure to make it manifest. But God gave you something now as a guarantee for what is to come. And we need to put pressure on God to see that reality manifested now. Because the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead lives in me. And he gives me a hope that one day he's going to raise me the same way that he raised Jesus, that he's going to change me the same way that he changed Jesus. But until that time come, he's supposed to be doing it within me now. Are, are you understanding what I'm saying? That's why Jesus can tell his people when they're telling you, look here, look there, here comes the kingdom. Uh-uh. The kingdom of God is within you. So all the hope that we look for in the future, we get a small glimpse of it right now inside of our heart, inside of our lives, in our little bitty world that we got right now. So let's put pressure on God and let's expect to see it. Let's expect to see some type of transforming power. Let's expect to see some type of work of the things that he promised us. Because he said we're going to have peace. He said ain't going to be no more sorrow no more. No more crying anymore. So give me a little bit of that now. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And let's go to God and ask him, God, give me some of that now. I don't want to wait 10, 20, 30, 50 years to get peace. I want it now. I need it now. And you put your spirit in me now as a guarantee of the peace to come. So if you can't give me peace now, how I know you're going to give it to me later. You, you, you get what I'm saying? He, he got this whole reality. That we're going to be rejoicing. Like I said, you know the parables. Jesus talked about the parables. He got the sheep and the goat. The man that did good with the talents. The man that did bad. He told them, enter into the what? Anybody know? Enter into the joy of the Lord. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. So what he was thinking is that this time of communion, this time of entering into the presence of God is entering into the joy of the Lord. That's Jesus' idea of what we're going to. That's part of our hope. That's part of our future. A place of immense joy. A place of immense pleasure. A place of immense rejoicing and satisfaction. Why we can't get none of that now? Why church folk got to be some of the meanest, most bitter folk on the planet? Why? That should not be because if he can make it joyful for forever, why he can't do it for a couple of years right now? You, you get what I'm saying? Because he promised me eternal joy. He promised me eternal peace. He promised me eternal blissfulness in the presence of God. Then he said, I'm going to give you my spirit to start it right here. And we build her. We sad. We down. We depressed. We bored. 
We can't do nothing with ourselves unless these heathens out here put some magical thing that costs millions of dollars on the screen to make us sit there and watch. Apart from that, we ain't got nothing to do with our lives. Apart from some toy, external stimulation, we can't find no joy, no satisfaction in this world. But we claim that we got a down payment of eternal joy. We claim that we got a down payment of eternal satisfaction in the presence of God. That should not be. And like I said, if he can't give it to me now, what hope do I got that he going to give it to me in the future? Because I'm supposed to have a down payment. Over and over again, Paul referred to the Holy Spirit as the earnest. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he said he's the earnest of the hope when he's talking about our being transformed and that our body is being changed. He said the Holy Spirit is given to us as the earnest of that hope. So this is supposed to be the beginning stages of your eternal transformation, the beginning walk of you being in the newness of life, the beginning walk of you entering into the eternal presence and joy of God, of you being in New Jerusalem. But if he can't give it to you now, what reason do you have to believe that he's going to give it to you later? Are you, are, you, are you with me? We all have experienced it. We all got that broke friend. Some of us have been that broke friend. Hey man, let me let me borrow twenty dollars the next Friday. Anybody met that person? Let me let me, me borrow twenty dollars the next Friday. Dude, you've been broke for a long time. What make you think you're gonna have twenty dollars the next Friday? <laughs> you you get what I'm saying? If he ain't ever got $20, why do you believe he going to have $20 next Friday? Ain't no reason for you to believe that. It works the same way with God. If he can't give you joy now, what reason you got to believe he going to give it to you later? If he can't help you overcome now, what make you think he going to help you overcome later? You ain't got no reason to hope in that. You ain't got no reason to believe in a newness of life, a new heaven and new earth. You ain't experienced no life right now. Your life is still just as dead as it was before you met him. You just learned some new songs. That's the reality for most people. But then they want to believe in the hope to come. The hope to come has been initiated. And if you ain't got no reality of the initiation of that hope, you ain't got no reason to hope. So if you ain't seeing victory now, you ain't going to see no victory later because what we have now is a earnest. It's the down payment. It's, it's the, just a little small taste of what you're going to get. Are you with me? Like I said, if you're walking in the kitchen and they tell you, taste this, and it nasty, <laughs> how much are you going to want to eat <laughs> when they put the whole meal in front of you? No, because <laughs> your little taste <laughs> supposed to be an example of what's going to be to come. Are you with me? Y'all understanding the concept and the picture that I'm trying to paint. I just want to make sure we get it. The example supposed to build an expectation for the whole. So if they give me a little spoon, I'm... And you have to say, yeah, he was all right. (laughs) (laughs) 
it won't be long for you to yeah, we ate for we left out. <laughs> because you have nothing to look forward to. But that's not what we have in Jesus. Like I say, he gave us a picture. So just think about the picture. Think about the ravishing that Jesus went through and the transformation that happened because of the spirit of God that dwelt within him. To see that in your mind. Just try to imagine how he looked. Let's try to imagine the effects of the beating and the bruising and the tearing of the skin and all the, 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 the messed up way his body was in. And you, you can even cheat if you need to. Sit down at night and, and watch the Passion of the Christ. And when you watch it, pause it on one little scene where he got that eye all swollen up and he's looking in the camera like this. Just pause it right there. And just sit there and look at it. And you can say to yourself, Self, that's you. That's my soul on that screen. It has been ravished. It has been beaten down. It has been just looking all ugly and marred up because of sin. That's me on that TV screen. That's, that, that, that's me. That's what's going on inside of me. That's what sin has done to me. And you sit there and you look at that thing. Cry if you got to. Then you hurry up and fast forward to the end. And when you see that man with that little piece of hand walk out that grave <laughs> and you don't see none of that scarring no more. When you don't see none of that blood dripping no more. When you don't see nothing but the things that he allowed to remain as a testimony of the transformation that God has given him. Then you can say, that's me. That's what God has done inside of me. That's what the power that has overcome me. That's the thing that has ravished and transformed my soul. Are you with me? I ain't hurting no more. I ain't bruised up no more. I'm not down anymore. That's who I used to be. That's what I looked before Jesus put me in the grave. But now the spirit of God has come upon me and I have been transformed. So no longer am I sore. No longer am I sensitive to all the things that hurt me before. No longer is my skin ravished and hurt. No longer do I walk around in shame and pain, scared for people to see me because I have been transformed. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And it's the spirit of God in me that makes that possible. And it's the promise that the spirit has given me. The same spirit that raised up Jesus from the grave shall also give life to your mortal bodies. But that's the hope of a promise to come. And we need to take claim to that promise to come right now as a reality right now because he has given me his spirit as a down payment. Are you understanding what I'm saying? So don't allow your mind to be all messed up and saying, this is who I am. I can't help it. I can't overcome it. It's just always been like this. And people just don't know. And people just don't understand. Yes, people do know. People been hurt for years. People do understand. We all got pain. We all got shame. We all have been through some stuff. We all got strongholds that we just cannot overcome that trip us up over and over again. But we have access to a savior. We have access to a spirit that is able to take me from what I should not be and make me into what he created me to be. Transform. Are you with me? 
The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you, transforming you as an expectation of the hope to come. So if you imagine in your head, when you think about the new life, a brand new you with power, with glory, with no sign, no shame, any of that stuff. Imagine the you right now just like that on the inside. And you should be saying, the only thing I'm waiting on is for this body to match up with my heart. The only thing I'm waiting on is for this body to match up with the transformation that has taken place inside of me. Because I'm a brand new creature right now. I'm a brand new being right now. I have been transformed right now. I've been raised to the newness of life right now. And I'm just waiting on my new body. Are are you with me? That's our hope. That's what we cling to in the resurrection. And we fight right now for the future to come because the only thing we missing is the body. We got everything else. And it has been done by the same spirit. And I love the way he said that the same spirit that you know ain't no difference. There's no difference in what happened in Jesus and what happened in you. It's the same one. Jesus ain't getting no special Holy Ghost. Jesus ain't have no special like set apart. God had like a, a Holy Ghost that's just in the back. The four portion of the Trinity, like the resurrection G, you know what I'm saying? The, the resurrection spirit right here. I'm saying I'm sending the world out with the regular Holy Ghost. I'm saying, but I got the reserved Holy Ghost for Jesus. No, it's the same one. The same one. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? So when we be amazed by the fact that he overcome the grave, got up out the grave, that he overcome death, hell, and the grave, and all that stuff, and when you sing all them songs, and when you think about these things, think about yourself, that it's the same spirit that accomplished that is working in me right now. It's that same one. So I can get up out the grave, the grave of my foolishness. I can get up out the grave, the grave of the things and the chains that hold me, the grave of my inheritance, the grave of my just my family curses, where everybody was this, 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 and this. And it just seemed like God, Lee, you can get up out that grave through the same spirit. Are y'all with me? Anybody got any questions? Mm-hmm. In Romans. <laughs> <laughs> Eight nine. Mm-hmm. It says, "If you do not have the Spirit of God, you do not belong to Him." Mm-hmm. But since God made us, doesn't everybody belong to Him, even if oh. you're a sinner or righteous? No, oh, very good question. Since God made everybody, does everybody belong to God? Simple answer: No. Because being a child of God is being made after God. So. In the sense that God made everybody, everybody belongs to him means he rule over them and that they ain't got nowhere else to go, but they're going to have to answer to God. They are God's. But does everybody belong to him as in being a part of his family, being with him, living with him? No. Some people are the child of the devil. First John chapter three, John chapter four. Any other questions? Go ahead. How did Jesus put in the grave? Because you said we look like horrible and painful before Jesus put us in the grave. Hmm. How did Jesus put us in the grave? How did Jesus put us in the grave? Romans chapter 6 talks about our baptism and us being united in Christ. So when we go down in baptism, us being united with Christ, we die with him. So when we be transformed and when we believe in Jesus, that's us dying to our old selves, dying to our sins, and his spirit bringing us back, raising us in the newness of life. That's why you go down in the water, then come up. 
Do you know what Easter stands for? The word? <laughs> the word Easter is really not a, a Christian word. It's really a confused word. Most people don't know exactly what it means, where it comes from. For what we can tell, it's a mixture of some other false gods and false religions that been incorporated into church worship. It does show up one time in the book of Acts. How we get there, we don't know. Because the word that is used to translate it is Passover. Any other questions? Go ahead. Um, when you were like, if he doesn't give it to you now, why would he give it to you later? Mm -hmm. If like, in the moment, you don't really feel like you like have the things that he said that he gives you, but you know that he that he did, but you don't feel it. Is that like the same as like he didn't give it to you? No. Well, what's the difference? Um, I guess the difference is just what you sense. Uh huh. And what one thing that we know about feelings? Yeah. That. <laughs> And they they very are. Because have you ever felt like somebody was in the room with you? Then you look up and nobody was around? Yeah, there's some demons around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yes, your feelings can change. That's why Paul said we don't walk by uh, sight, but we walk by faith. So if you know that he gave it to you, you need to know it, whether or not you feel it or not. Makes sense. Also, I have a question in John. Uh, so it's John three thirteen, and it says, oh, "This is Jesus talking." And he's all like, "And no man has ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven." And I'm just really confused at why he would say he's in heaven when Jesus was like right there, like on earth. Mm. And also, didn't like Enoch go up to heaven? Enoch was taken. Yes, he oh, was. So is, is that like the same as ascended or no? Uh, not to the same degree. Because when he's talking about Send it up to heaven. He means it's somebody that just went up there. Oh, like obviously. Yeah. So that's what this picture of ascending and descending. You're going up and coming down. Ain't nobody did that. Enoch was taken and Elijah was taken. The picture of Jesus that you painted in the garden, the sensitivity, like what stood out to me is that like, he still didn't sin, even with all of that kind of pain and suffering that he was going through. Mm -hmm. Like, is that the aim of man as well? Like, that no matter what happens to us, what like that our experiences don't dictate how we perform, I guess, or how we interact. Yeah, that's uh, Hebrews chapter 12 or 13, I can't think, when it says you are not resisted unto death in your striving against sin. So what the Hebrew writer was saying, that basically you ain't got no reason to be complaining. Because in your resistance or in your fighting against sin, it ain't took you all the way to the grave. And he takes that from this thought point of looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So that's the picture that he painted. 
so that in our fighting, in our striving against sin, we ain't resisted sin all the way till it killed us. So until you get to that point, you ain't got nothing to be complaining about. It's, it's the way that he worded. I think that's chapter 12 of Hebrews. It makes any sense to you. Yeah, chapter 12, verse 3 and 4 says, For consider him that endures such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be weary and faint in your minds. You have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And so that's his <clears throat> idea. Look at Jesus and look at the contradiction that he suffered. Look at the way that he allowed himself to be treated by sinners. You ain't went that far yet, so. Get off yourself. <laughs> Any other question? That's it. They're all yours, possible.